So it's a Friday evening, and uh, you decided it's movie night, you know, with your family or housemates or whatever. And so you've got to decide, you know, what kind of movie or TV show are you in the mood for? And often at this point in our house, anyway, the, the classic genre of, I want to watch something mindless comes out, okay? I want to watch something mindless. I don't want to watch anything that's going to make me think too hard. Um, but sometimes you make your choice and you think you've chosen something fairly non-demanding and um, you think this is great. And then as you are watching it, you realize this is actually really heavy. And actually this is really, oh, this is really going to make me think. This happened to us once as a family. We watched the film Lion. Anyone seen the film Lion? Outstanding film. Nice film. Lovely. Heavy. Okay. Amazing. Thought-provoking is about as boy, who's an orphan, I should have known at that point <laughs> that it was going to be heavy, um, and he, he uses Google Earth to find his family. It's amazing. I mean, at the end, I looked at my parents, I looked at Vicky, we were all crying. And even the next day at breakfast, I remember my mum saying, that film really got under my skin. It's just one of those ones which you can't get to the end and not go, okay, that wasn't mindless. I've got to do something about this. When you take the Bible off the shelf, I wonder what experience you're hoping for something thought-provoking, entertaining, heartwarming. Maybe we want something just to make us feel better. Well, it might just be that you've made the same genre mistake that I made when I decided to watch Lion. We've come to the end of John's Gospel, season one, if you like. Okay, this is the, the end of a section where Jesus returns to Galilee, which is where he started off in chapter two. And as the season f- in this season finale, um, it really drives home what Jesus, that what Jesus has been doing in this season one of John's Gospel, what Jesus has been doing isn't mindless. It isn't the Friday night feel-good or even the Sunday afternoon spiritual feel-good. As we've been glimpsing Jesus' glory in what he's said and what he's done, this is supposed to, rather, actually, this must demand something of us in response. And in this episode, Jesus is going to get under the skin of what people around him really think of him. And here's your warning, okay? That's what he's going to do with us as well. As we see the wonders he performs and the things he says, the question this afternoon is, what do you believe? So let's get into it. Uh, To set the scene for you, Jesus has just been in Samaria um, and a whole town of people have believed in him. You can look up just up to verse 42, before where we started. Um, the town said to this woman who's um, trusting Jesus, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man, Jesus, really is the saviour of the world. Okay. And then after two days that he's been up there, he left for Galilee. And Jesus himself pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They'd they'd seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they'd also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And then we get the, um, the certain royal official who comes along. So Jesus went back to Galilee. He's gone back to his homeland, his home country. And um, John, the narrator, and by the way, in John's Gospel, John narrates a lot, and it's really worth paying attention to what he says. Um, John tells us something to set the scene. Imagine you're watching this as a TV show. In comes Jesus, walking into Galilee. And there's a sign, welcome to Galilee, population 1,000 whatever, paired with some 
place in Poland, kind of thing. And he's, he's, um, he's walking in, and then the narrator's voice comes over. Here's Jesus coming back to his hometown. Now, Jesus himself had said that no prophet receives honor in his own land. Let's see what happens next. Right? So John is setting this up for Jesus to be dishonored in his homeland. And this is what happened just a lot throughout the whole Bible. It became a kind of saying, you know, prophets just aren't accepted in their homeland. Time and time again, God's people rejected their own prophets who came to speak God's word to them. And, and Jesus is saying it's going to be no different for him. So Jesus has just been in Samaria, which he's basically been with uh, the, Jew, the, the enemies of the Jews. And they, how, how was he received there? He was believed in. He was honored by the, the foreigners, but now, when he comes to his hometown, it's not going to be so good. Which then makes verse 45 really weird. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So what's going on? You've got two options. One, John is a rubbish storyteller, and he kind of set it up for, hey, hey, he's going to be rejected. Oh, no, they really like him. Or he's a very good storyteller. And he's kind of having some fun and speaking to us and helping us get in on the story. In verse 44, you see with this little thing about what Jesus said, he's letting us in on a secret. He's letting us in and saying, they don't really believe in him. Verse 45, they welcome him. And John's like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They welcome him. But we know what they really think, don't we? It's not all that it seems. So do you see how John, what he's doing with us, is drawing us in to really think about, so what is their real response to Jesus? Oh, it's all welcome home, son, on the surface, but ah, something else going on underneath. So next we find out that these Galileans um, have actually been in Jerusalem um, for all the stuff that we've been reading over the last few chapters, particularly in chapter 2, when Jesus uh, was in the temple, if you remember that, and he drove out all the, animal, all the animals and the money changers, and he performed loads of signs and wonders. They were there for all of that, because they had traveled to Jerusalem to, to make their sacrifices. They'd seen it all. And then Jesus went, verse 46, back to Cana in Galilee. Remember Cana in Galilee, where he performed his first sign? If you don't remember, well, John the narrator reminds us. Where he turned... One of the most famous miracles, water into wine. So he's gone back to that place. These guys saw all the stuff in Jerusalem. They heard all the teaching. They were even, uh, now in Cana, they were the ones who saw the very first sign. The point is this. They've had more than their fair share of glimpses of the glory of Jesus. So they've now got every reason to be fully signed up believers in Jesus. But what's going on? Well, all is revealed in Jesus' encounter with this royal official. So this um, royal official, his son lay ill in, um, in Capernaum, which is a town in Galilee, so he's, he is a Galilean. And in this story, this, um, this man comes to kind of represent all of the Galileans. And just like the rest of the Galileans, Jesus is known to this official as a miracle worker. He's heard the stories, and, and really I think he genuinely believes Jesus can heal his son. So in desperation, he begs Jesus to come and heal his son who's close to death. But look at what Jesus says to him. Verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. 
First, that can seem kind of harsh, can't it? Jesus, this guy's son is dying. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But given what we've already read, what Jesus is doing is simply making plain this whole wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Do the Gal- Galileans really believe thing? Jesus responds to this one man by speaking to all of them. Did you notice? He says, he speaks to him, but he's saying, you people. And here's the issue Jesus finally reveals. They're sign seekers. Unless they see signs and wonders, they will not believe in him. Now, this man clearly in some way represents this attitude. Does he believe that Jesus can heal his son? Yes. Does he believe and trust in Jesus as the one sent from the Father to be the saviour of the world? doesn't seem so from what Jesus is saying. He's coming for the healing, but is he coming for Jesus as the saviour of the world? What about the other Galileans there? Do they believe that Jesus can do miracles? Yeah. And now at the end of season one, with all that they've seen, all that they've heard in Cana, in in Jerusalem, all of it, will they believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world? No. They want more signs first. Contrast that with what's just happened in Samaria, where a whole town believed this man really is the saviour of the world. They didn't even have one miracle. They just believed Jesus' word. They were honoured. But Galilee, welcomed, but not honoured. Not believed in. Not yet. If you remember from chapter 1, it says, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That's what's playing out in front of us. Now I have to admit, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that this is what the Galileans were thinking. Somehow Jesus is able to look at them all and see right through them. How does Jesus know that they're demanding more signs and don't fully believe in him as the saviour? Well, here's what we're learning from, from this. This is our first point. Jesus knows what we believe. We are not a mystery to him. People are not a mystery to Jesus. Jesus knows what we believe. In fact, this is actually one of the themes that's been bubbling away in chapters 1 to 4. There are so many themes in John. This is one we've not picked up on, but we're going to now. See, while everyone is encountering Jesus, and they're all trying to figure Jesus out, everyone Jesus meets, he's got totally figured out. Yeah, They're trying to understand who, who's this guy. He knows them already. You see this time and time again. Flick back to uh, 1 verse 47. A few pages back. Chapter 1, verse 47, page 1064. Uh, Jesus sees this man, Nathaniel. Never met him before. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. <laughs> Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. It's a strange encounter. Nathaniel's like, you've never met me before and yet you seem to know something about my heart. You don't even know me, but Jesus knows him. Um, let's go to chapter 2, verse uh, 35. Sorry, chapter 2, verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23. So Jesus has done all, all this stuff in Jerusalem. And uh, lots of people have seen it. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus 
would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Remember, this is the same crowd that we've just met again in Galilee. They were there. They, they believe in Jesus in some kind of superficial way, but Jesus knows. It's not a kind of belief that he accepts. Once again, there's more to their reaction than meets our eye, but Jesus sees it. He knows all people. 4 verse 29, the, the woman in Samaria. Do you remember what she said? Chapter 4 verse 29, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Again, Jesus never met this woman, but he knew her entire messy history and he loved her. He knew her better than she knew herself. And it's the same now back in Galilee. Jesus knows. He sees through their welcome. They don't even have to say it. He knows. He knows they don't really yet believe in him as the saviour of the world. They want more signs and wonders. Which means for us that whatever's going on in our hearts, whatever way we're reacting to Jesus today, we're not a mystery to him. He knows all people. And we count in all people. He knows whether we truly believe in him or not. I have a really bad poker face, right? Trying to hide what I think. I used to think I was quite mysterious. Um, but I, I'm not, apparently. I'm kind of cursed with a very expressive face, you may have noticed. Um, I cannot hide what I'm thinking very well, which has got me into trouble at times. But we like to think we have a pretty good spiritual poker face. That we can present to Jesus what we want him to think of us and hide what we really think of him. Jesus sees through our spiritual poker face. Maybe like Nicodemus, who we met in chapter 2, we're just baffled by Jesus and we don't understand. Well, you know, we don't have to hide that from Jesus. He saw right through Nicodemus and he sees right through us and he tried to help Nicodemus understand. Perhaps we look like the Galileans. We put on a good welcome for Jesus, a good show. We really love Jesus. We, we like Jesus, old buddy. You know, yeah, I'm going to take you really seriously, Jesus, definitely. But then behind that kind of spiritual um, exterior, we're actually underneath, just kind of with him for the ride. We like the church thing, the buzz of being part of something, the spiritual feeling we get. That's what's going on underneath. I don't know if anyone saw James Corden's um, carpool karaoke with Kanye West. It wasn't a carpool karaoke. He was in a plane with Kanye West and a full professional gospel choir. And there's this moment where James Corden goes, you know what, I don't know if it's the altitude or what, but I feel closer to God. And I said to Vicky, no, he doesn't. He's, he's just in a plane with a professional gospel choir and it's awesome. And that's what he's feeling. But we can be after that kind of feeling too and think that that's the belief that Jesus is after. Just minus Kanye West and the gospel choir maybe. Perhaps we can see the good that Jesus does for us. We like his example, his morals. We like the way he talks. We like his healings. We believe in him for all sorts of things, but believe in him as saviour of the world? Believe in him as my saviour? No, not so sure. Underneath, we're not convinced. And we can have this kind of Galilean attitude of more signs, Jesus. 
more signs and wonders, then I'll believe. If you do this thing in my life, if you perform this miracle, if you basically fulfill my terms and conditions, then I'll believe. Well, listen, Jesus knows that. He knows what you believe about him. I don't know if that makes you feel uncomfortable or comforts you that he knows you better than you know yourself. At least it's got our attention to start thinking about what is going on in here when I, when I read about Jesus. What's he finding there in your heart? Right now, what do you believe about Jesus? He knows. Now sometimes I read about Jesus and I think, what would I do if I was Jesus? which is like the unholy opposite of, what would Jesus do? I think, well, if I was Jesus, uh, what, would, what would I do in this situation? In this situation with this man who wants his son healing, here's what I'd do. I'd say, you people won't believe unless you see a sign. So, no, mister, I'm not going to heal your son. You and your fellow Galileans have seen and heard enough to believe in me. I'm sorry, off you go. Having criticised them for being after more signs, you'd expect Jesus to teach them a lesson and not give them the sign that they're demanding. But that's not Jesus. Fortunately, he's a much better man than I am. Let's have a look at verse 49. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. Jesus does what the man begged of him to do. Actually, not quite. He asked Jesus to come with him to heal his son. Jesus doesn't need to go with him. We can just do it by saying it. And that's what he does. Verse 54. Um, sorry, uh, verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that this boy was living. When he inquired as to the time his son had got better, he's, he's saying, when was he got better? And they do the math and he says, well, yesterday it was um, one in the afternoon, the fever left him, and he, oh, he realises... It was the exact time which Jesus said, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign. The second sign Jesus had done. The first one was the water into the wine. Jesus does another sign. And this really baffled me this week. Just trying to understand this passage. Why does Jesus give him and all of these Galileans another sign when he said you should have believed already? But now you're demanding more signs. Why does he do it? It's because Jesus isn't trying to make it difficult for them to believe in him. Jesus isn't trying to be unknowable, a kind of mystery to us. Here's our second point. Jesus helps us believe. He helps us. That's the whole point of his mission, especially in John. The whole point is Jesus coming to reveal himself. He's doing everything he can to help us believe in him, which is why he does sign number two. Go to the end of John's gospel, to John chapter 20. This is brilliant because John goes, oh, this is why I wrote my gospel. Page 1090. 1090. And here we get John's purpose and Jesus' purpose for coming. Um, John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs, miracles, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, so not of space. 
But these are written, including the one we just read, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What's the whole point of John's Gospel? That we can read all about Jesus said and did, particularly his signs like this healing, and believe that he's the Messiah, and then have life forever. The whole point of this book is us seeing Jesus' glory, and then as we glimpse it, believing in who he is. The goal, Jesus' goal, is belief, not mystery and confusion. You know how sometimes we do the bare minimum, so we can say that we've tried. Imagine the scenario, your, your housemate or whoever says, uh, can you just go and see if there, um, if there are any baked beans left in the cupboard? And so you're like, oh, you know, you don't really want to, so you go and you, you open up the cupboard door and you have a look and you go, uh, uh, no, there's, there's no baked beans, and you go and sit down. And you think, oh, I had a look, didn't I? And when they say later, when they look and they realise there are some in the corner, and they say, I thought you said there were no beans. You're like, well, I tried, I had a look, and I just didn't see them at first. Some people call it a boy look, where you just have an initial glance. I tried, you can say. Jesus could have had that attitude. Jesus could have come and said, here I am, I'm the son of God, believe in me. And no surprise, he's met with unbelief. People want miracles and signs, evidence uh, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Fine, Jesus says, I'll perform one sign for you, does the sign, water into wine. But they ask for more. They won't believe unless he does more signs. And so you know what? Imagine this. Jesus cuts the whole thing short at John chapter 2, returns to heaven to his father and says, look, father, I tried, had a go. Um, I did a sign. They didn't believe, just like I said they wouldn't. Um, They demanded more signs. I said no. But at least we tried. Okay, we did one sign for them. Sometimes we can think Jesus is like that. Demanding belief from us with minimum effort and evidence on his part. Well, that's not the Jesus we've met here, is it? Jesus didn't come to do the bare minimum. The Father didn't send the Son to have a brief try at getting us to believe in him. Jesus came knowing that we are chronic unbelievers. We should believe Jesus simply at his word. We should. He's God. But to paraphrase Batman, Jesus doesn't give us the evidence to believe that we deserve. He gives us what we need. And that's called grace. So instead of sending this man, this man away as he deserves to be sent away with all the Galileans, trapped in his unbelief, Jesus graciously takes him on a journey to belief. He gives him what he needs. He helps him believe by giving him another sign. And something clicks in this man's heart. Verse, verse um, 50, where it says that the man took Jesus at his word. It literally, it says that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke. He believed the words. That's amazing. He goes from being one of those people who will only believe with a sign to being someone who actually believes just at hearing Jesus' word. That's the kind of belief that is going to come up again in John's Gospel. But it's not over because he then, um, he's, uh, look at verse 53. The father realized it was the exact time and he said, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. If you've read about Jesus healing people a lot, if you've been a Christian maybe a long time, I want you to just snap out of your kind of familiarity with Jesus healing people for a moment. And just, we're talking about marveling at the, the deeds that God has done. 
Just marvel at this miracle for a moment, will you? This is, remember, the first healing in John's Gospel. We've not had stacks of them already. This is the first one. And what a healing. We love things that can be done at a distance. My father-in-law runs a B&B, and he takes great pride in his ability um, to control the temperature in every single room from his phone on the other side of the world. He's like, I can do this remotely. It's amazing. We like it. We feel the power of being able to do something like that. Well, this man believed that Jesus could heal his son if he came with him to Capernaum. Oh, Jesus could do that. But this divine glory is such that he can also do it with a word from miles away. See, again, do you see that Jesus doesn't dial dial down the amazingness of this sign because they might be a bit too impressed and they're all kind of into signs. He doesn't dial it down. He dials the amazingness up. Oh, I'll heal your son. And I'll do it in a sentence and without moving a muscle. You have just glimpsed my glory again. As if to say, my grace, in my grace, I'm going to give you another sign of who I am. You don't deserve this sign, but watch. Will you now believe? Which he does. They all do. And think about it. That sign isn't just given to him. It's given to all of the Galileans. And it isn't just given to them. It's given to us here in this room this afternoon because we're reading about it. Jesus doesn't demand that we believe in him without giving us reason to believe. Contrary to what people might think, being a Christian isn't about believing despite the lack of evidence. That's what a lot, a lot of people think. You know, you're a Christian, there's not much evidence, but you're a Christian anyway, you kind of have faith. No, we're to believe because Jesus has given us every reason to believe. Today, he gives us this incredible, compassionate, supernatural miracle to help us believe. What he's given us so far, I mean, we're only in chapter 4, But he's given us four chapters of signs, of teaching, of glimpses of his glory. So, can I ask you, Globe Church, as we've been working through this this term, having got this far, will you believe? But wait, Jesus knows that we really struggle to believe. So this gospel isn't nano-sized. It's not just four chapters long. It keeps going. We get seven signs in all, and the climax is Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. You don't get a bigger sign than that, that he is somebody else. Will you believe? Have you ever wondered why we've not got one gospel, but four gospels telling Jesus' life, and they're all rammed full of miracles and healings and compassion and and amazing life-giving teaching and the death and resurrection of Jesus? Why do we have four, not one? To help us believe. Abundant evidence. Will you believe? Actually, he's given us the rest of the Bible too. We've got the bit before the Gospels leading up to it, which gets us ready to understand about Jesus. And then we've got the bit coming after the Gospels that go, oh, that's what it was all about. So you can be really clear that he's the saviour of the world. We've got the whole book. Will we believe? Jesus isn't trying to make it hard to be believed in. He helps us believe. So why do we struggle to believe? Well, the reasons are much more to do with our hearts whether we actually want to believe, whether we really want him to change our lives, rather than Jesus being stingy and showing us he's the son of God. See, we we may wish that he'd do more miracles in our lives, and maybe Jesus will do miracles. But the point is this, he's done enough. Here, for us, he's done enough for us to believe, abundantly enough. 
which has this eternal implication for us. When we come to meet God face to face, we won't be able to say to him, if only you'd done more signs and miracles, then I would have believed. We won't have that excuse. We said at the start that this isn't mindless Sunday afternoon spiritual feel-good. This demands some kind of response from us. And it's like Jesus steps off the pages, walks amongst us in the auditorium, and comes up to each one of us and says, Okay, after what you've seen me do, do you believe that I am the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Now, let's be honest, we struggle to believe, don't we? Every one of us. And it's really important to say this to each other. Struggling to believe in Jesus isn't just something um, that we might experience before we become Christians, when we're not Christians, we struggle to believe in Jesus. Struggling to believe and continuing to believe in Jesus is something we all struggle with. We struggle to keep believing in Jesus because our sin seems too big to overcome. Can he really forgive this sin? We struggle to keep believing because we've demanded that he needs to do this or that for me. And he doesn't seem to be doing it. We struggle to keep believing because we're simply distracted or bored somehow of Jesus. So if you're struggling to believe in Jesus, this afternoon, be encouraged by the generous, kind heart of Jesus that you've seen in giving this sign. When it's hard to believe in him, when he's a puzzle to us, when we just wish there was more evidence, when the struggles of life descend on us like dark clouds and we just can't see Jesus and it's hard to believe, well, know this, Jesus wants to help us believe He is on your side. So what do you do if your belief in Jesus feels weak? Well, first you let Jesus challenge you in your unbelief. Don't settle for unbelief. Jesus knows, remember. But then let him help you believe. How does he help you? You read the signs. You glimpse the glory and you ask him as you read to be strengthened in your belief. It's all there for us to to behold and see. We just need to look. Look again at the climax of John's gospel, the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Are you struggling to believe that he can overcome your sin? Look at the cross again, again. You think, I looked at that when I became a Christian, but I'm still struggling to believe. Keep looking at the cross again and again where Christ died for you. Are you struggling to believe, your faith feeling weak, that death is overcome? Are you struggling to believe that Jesus really will, in the end, make all things right and fix everything? Then look at the resurrection again and again and again. There's a reason we do Easter every year. Wait, there's a reason we do this Sunday to Sunday with bread and wine. To look again and again because we need help believing. There isn't a Christian in this room who doesn't need, for the rest of our lives, everyday help to keep believing. We all need it. So keep looking, keep reading, keep glimpsing the glory. Keep your eyes on the many, many things Jesus has done to help you believe. But I want to finish by asking this. What should you do if you're, you're here and you don't believe in Jesus at all? You say, I'm not a Christian. Well, you need to know this, that God loves you 
so much that he has taken all the steps towards you so you can believe and be saved. In grace, he comes towards you today. He sent his son to you. He performed all these signs we've been reading about for you to see. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again for you. There's nothing you need to believe that he hasn't already given you. So believe on Jesus and you can be saved today. Let's pray, praise our Savior and ask for his help to believe. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your generous, loving heart. Because by ourselves, we can never know you. We so struggle to believe. There's so many things in our lives that are more interesting to us or captivate our hearts and our emotions. There are so many things that tell us not to believe in you. You seem, you are naturally so hidden from us because of the wrong we've done. We praise you that you've revealed yourself. In sending your son, you've stepped into history for us. You've said, here I am. And you have given us abundant reason to believe. And I pray today, Lord, help us in our unbelief. We all struggle to keep believing. So please, help us to see the signs. To believe the words of Jesus like this man did. Strengthen us, we are weak. Thank you for your spirit who is amongst us today. I pray that for the rest of this service, Lord, as we sing and pray and eat the bread and drink the wine, which you've given us to strengthen our faith, please would you do that. Help us to believe. Thank you that there's no hiding from you today. Um, But you are here to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.